Let's do this. Build a song, build a song, build a song, build a song, build Welcome, everybody, to Build the Song. This is Robbie Silverarm broadcasting right here in the beautiful Aloha Hawaiian Islands, Honolulu. We are broadcasting also on a 1970 Hughes North Star sailing race yacht, creator's yacht, airbrush on the ceiling, kind of hippie-ish, kind of woo-woo, like, dude, you smoking Pacalolo in there? Hey, sometimes we do, okay? <laughs> I got, I'm a 329 card holder. I'm legal 100%. <laughs> but really, I want to thank you for joining me as we talk and we encourage songwriters And boy, do I've got some stories to tell to you today. So I hope you can, you know, pull up in your chair, kick your feet back, have you pour yourself, pour yourself a strong one, you know. Or if you know if it's Grandma, you know, Betty, listening to this, she's got her little cup of tea. I kind of like Robbie. Robbie Silver Army's good. He's a little bit wacky, a little bit dorky sometimes, but I do appreciate him, and he speaks from the heart. And one of the reasons why I preface this episode and something like this is because I'm on on this yacht and you're going to, sometimes you're going to hear some squeaks uh, of the bumpers, the ropes and that kind of thing. And so I'm just so excited to be able to be a creator on this yacht and you can hear my yacht story at another time, but it's basically, you know, kind of a really cool old sailboat that is technically a yacht and, uh, and this is where we create, and it's not the static environment where, you know, I've got all the foam on all the walls. This is just raw and real, and I've been wanting to do this for quite a while, and I've just been like, oh, it has to be perfect, and like, no, no, no. Just speak from your heart, Robbie, because there's so many amazing things happening, and this is what I want to share with you is my story about how I met Chris Cornell, and I've got a song that goes along with it called Chris Cornell, I Miss You So Much. And so I'm wondering if I could go ahead and just get the ball rolling with this song. And because I don't want this podcast to at all be like, um, what do they call it? Like uh, clickbait or something with the, with the name of Chris. No, 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 no. There's no clickbait involved with it. I met Chris Cornell when I was 14 years old in West Seattle in a basement. And I'm going to tell that story, but what I want to do is to honor your time. So I want to play this song, and it's just, I mean, I'm playing it just live right here, okay? So you can kind of know my heart, and it has nothing to do with name dropping, or you want subscribers, that way you're doing? No, no. Look, I got no, no motive behind it. This is music history. And that whole thing of name dropping was a deterrent for so long. It's like, ooh, no, no. I got a right to say what I'm going to say in this song because I knew him and I, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm so grateful and he's such a sweetheart. He still is a sweetheart, isn't he? Amazing, amazing voice. And um, he taught me so much. Okay. So let me play this song. Now, again, this may not come out perfectly. Okay. It's not, it's not what it meant. It's meant for. This is called build the song where I 
encourage songwriters, creators, those that are musicians. You might have a tour with, uh, you might be on tour. You might have a contract with Capitol Records. You, you might um, be at the top of, of your game and the top of your genre, uh, or you may be just getting started. I am going to inspire you. And when you listen even to this podcast episode and others like it, you will say there's no podcast like this anywhere. All right. And I know I'm kind of being bold and saying that, but you know, I'm, I'm like kind of goofy like that. And I've been able to, uh, oh God, be, be so blessed with so many wonderful people like Chris Cornell. So that's why I preface it about being on the yacht in Honolulu because you're hearing the airplanes, right? If you can just bear with me. Okay, there's not going to be a whole lot of it, hopefully, but this is raw and real from my heart. And so I want to play this song for you called Chris Cornell. I miss you so much. Okay. And then afterwards, we'll come and talk about some of the stories. Fox Tech's fall track built the dog. 
listening to that yeah i messed it up a little bit but like i said just raw and real and that's this song is called you know chris cornell i miss you so much and i started off by talking about the love that i have in my heart not just for chris but like for andrew too and that's why i just put him first just kind of like to honor him you know in the same way that uh temple of the dog that whole album is just it's for Andrew. It's we and we all miss him too. And I knew Andrew would as well. And let me tell that little story before I tell you how I met Chris Cornell. We would go to the shows. This is Chris and this is when Chris first started. You know, and we go see and then we Chris would be playing with a malfunction. And um Andrew Wood, okay, he's kind of short. <laughs> Andrew Wood was short but ten feet tall. He, but you know, you would never know that with his singing that he's a little bit shorter because he's so dynamic. And it was before the show. I mean, I was just kind of like the skateboarder kid. That's just who I was. Just and I was, I was playing guitar back then, and had even written um, songs at that early age. And uh, <laughs> Andrew Wood, because I'm probably like. Uh, 16 or 17 um, during this time, but whenever. 
and uh, at these like all age club shows and Andrew I guess they knew me as the as the guy with the pipe you know <laughs> the the Pacalolo pipe you know man you got the green stuff you know and Andrew were like hey where you know where's Robbie and uh and he'd come find me and uh and we just he'd pack a bowl and we just hang out and talk and I was just I was so trying not to, I guess what can I, can I say trying not to be a little bit starstruck even though we all hung out together quite a bit, it's true. Um, it's still, when I saw that type of creativity and that much passion in just one person like Andrew Wood, it, it was amazing. I mean, you felt the energy from Andrew Wood. He's about ready to go on, and he's got his outfit on, his you know, kind of like Aerosmith uh, bandanas hanging, and his hair and his makeup. It was cool. And I thought it was amazing that he, he would even want to hang out with me, because we did several times. He'd always look for me. It's the honest God truth. <laughs> it was just so much fun. So I thought of putting him in there first to honor him. And the first time I met Chris Cornell was when I was 14 years old. I think I was a freshman at West Seattle High School and Norman Scott, who I was in a band with called Mona. And he is so awesome. And he is, he is a prolific creator, been around the world several times in bands that he's been with Skin Yard and um, Capping Day. There's all kinds of it. Grunt truck. Whoa. Man, it's just amazing. And so I was kind of like this little bit of us, an Iron Maiden and everything. And Scott, Norman Scott, was into like punk rock and sex pistols. And, uh, and he had like, earrings and spiked black hair. He invited me. One weekend to go to his dad's house. We call him Uncle Norm. And so we went, and um, I, I, I believe Chris may even be cousins with, with Norman Scott. I, please forgive me if I get this wrong, because we're all just family. We just, really, I, I somehow kind of got uh, grafted in. <laughs> and, and when I first met him, he was there uh, wearing combat boots and um, cut-off shorts and uh, kind of a, a T-shirt that was, you know, ripped up. It was all custom, and his hair was um, like a little bit, a little bit long. And the thing that I remember them playing to, right, because I just walked, we walked right in. He was already jamming in the basement at Uncle Norm's, and he was playing like scratch acid, and I didn't even know what it was, um, like like the. Uh, see Scratch Acid on some of Kurt Cobain's old uh, pictures, some of his very early years. He wore a t-shirt that says Scratch Acid. That is the music that Chris was into. Not Led Zeppelin, not Aerosmith, no. It was Scratch Acid. It was Big Black. It was David Bowie. It was Bauhaus. That's what Chris listened to. I don't, he may have somehow gotten influenced a couple years later, you know, hanging out with, um, with the guys that, um, with Mother Love Bone, who were really into Aerosmith and which later on became Pearl Jam. I think he was influenced that way a little bit, like, oh, maybe this is the cool new thing. I don't know. I'm not saying 
you know, anything. But when Soundgarden's music first started to come out and it had that bit of a more of a super kind of, uh, I don't know, like, like a modern day Led Zeppelin, I was like, this doesn't sound like Chris. Um, but man, he taught me how to play Bella Lugosi's Dead. <laughs> Really, Bauhaus. Bella Lugosi's dead. We played also um, Ziggy Stardust. That was one. Oh, and we played it like Bauhaus because that was... That, you know Bauhaus? This is like totally cool Batcaver type music. I, th- I thought Chris was a Batcaver. <laughs> I hear I'm kind of like, I look like I maybe like have a mullet, almost like a pre-mullet. <laughs> a little bit short front, just trying to have as much long hair as I can because my mom says, cut that hair, Robbie. <laughs> you know, and I met him that way. And I was amazed. He was like, go ahead, let's, let's play. You want to play? And, you know, I looked over at Norman Scott and he's like, yeah, go ahead. And I was like, okay, cool. And it's like, hey, just grab that guitar over here. We've got an amp, you know, and there's a grainier beer all over and stuff like that. And we just jammed. And then he, you know, he was... Uh, um, a few years older than me, and it was just so amazing to to see that creativity before Soundgarden ever even started. And but it really is true about Eric Garcia. It and now Andrew Wood was a roommate of Chris's in the early years and was a very very close friend. I mean how how can you not um, write a an album and collaborate with other other artists uh, called Temple of the Dog without having such a heart and be impacted by someone like Andrew Wood, which Chris was. But Eric Garcia, all y'all know, is one of Chris's be- very best friends. Very best friends. And what is so amazing, if I just fast forward a little bit, that's the, the last verse on that. Uh, West Seattle House 45. That... That's the that was the jam house that Chris always came back to. That's where Eric Garcia and Michelle lived, rented a house right in West Seattle, Forty Fifth Avenue in West Seattle. And what's crazy is it uh, maybe a decade later or fifteen years later after I got married, I'm divorced now. But my ex and my son, we got to actually rent that house because they finally bought a house. They lived there for how many years, Eric, was that? Like, I mean, a long time, 15 years or so. Awesome house. It was the jam house. Everybody's been there. I'm telling you, ask Kim Thale. Kim was there. Sean Kenny. Everybody. That so much creating happened in that house, and I was blown away that the door opened up for me to actually rent it, and we kind of kept it in the family. <laughs> oh man! And the jam room was still intact. I'm like, open up. That was the beginning of Mona when we rented that place, and, I, and many of those songs that I wrote for Mona. Were written right in that room. Smelly. You can still smell the beer. It smelled like a mold. You know, Seattle is always raining. It's like they got a moldy. It's not the freshest <laughs> environment. <laughs> Ask those guys. You know, you come down the stairs and you go in there and, and it's all, you know, padded because we would jam 24 7 in there sometimes. And Chris was there. And uh, it's so cool to keep that in the family. And um, the very first album that, that, um, that Chris uh, and Soundgarden produced was at reciprocal. Re, can I say it? Reciprocal Recordings, which is owned by Jack and Dino, and Jack and Dino is famous. He is famous in the Seattle movement and around the world as being one of the best producers in the world. 
I'm telling you, Jack and Dino, he's right up there with Rick Rubin. And he is pretty, he helped create the grunge movement. What are you talking about? That's Jack and Dino. And somehow, through my relationship with Norman Scott and I'm sure Chris put in a good word for me. <sighs> Jack and Dino had this kind of fun band called Crypt Crip Kicker Five. <laughs> Ask Matt Cameron. He, he was there because Matt Cameron had his own band. It was called Couch of Sound. And we would hang out together um, at, over at Jack and Dino's house um, on Capitol Hill. That was the Skin Yard house. <laughs> There's so many amazing stories, and Matt knows Matt, Matt knows me, and uh, he and he was familiar with Crypt Kicker Five because we're this kind of quirky surf band. Now I somehow just got I, they needed a, a guitarist, and Jack and Dino was the drummer of this band. Now, to me, I didn't really understand the ramifications of being involved with something that, like that till years later because we're all still so young. But now, looking back at it with music history, I was in a freaking band with Jack and Dino. <laughs> and they need to update their wiki page. I was there. <laughs> and just such an amazing thing. And when I saw Chris Cornell in his environment, okay, where he lived in Capitol Hill, because the, the lyrics go, um, you know, Capitol Hill with the view where the cars never stopped. Hero and Kim Fostex for track built the dog. Okay, that's this house was in Capitol Hill, in Capitol Hill, in Seattle. All right, it's very close to downtown Seattle, and it was on the edge of the freeway. And you can hear the freeway home. And I think that maybe even in some of Chris's lyrics, that's where Chris, Kim Thale, and Hero, they were all roommates together. And I went there with Norman Scott because we just would go there all the time. I, you'd walk in the, the door of Chris's house. It was a small house. And you could smell, kind of smelled like like beer, <laughs> like old beer. <laughs> but what, is, what else do you do in Seattle when you're young? You just you you play rock music and you turn up the amps real loud and you just drink beer. <laughs> oh, Kitty, what are you doing? And uh, just that's what we did. And um, and again, I'm I'm younger. I'm just a skater kid, but I got to tag along. And I looked around the house and you could see paintings on the wall. There was drawings on the wall. It was, I look at it now, it was a creator's environment. And that's where art was at. I remember even seeing lyrics on the floor because of Chris's writing was so, he had so much coming out of him. And I remember seeing the Fostex four track thing. We're talking cassettes. Y'all, young people, y'all know what those those are, cassettes, (laughs) with like literal tape. And that's what they would record with. They did these ideas. And I remember seeing uh, guitars, acoustic guitars leaned up against the wall. You'd walk into the kitchen area and you could smell the cat litter. (laughs) Or these are single guys, right? You know, and there's dishes in the sink. Kim, am I right? Kim Thale? (laughs) It just, it just, it is what it is. It, I'm not saying it was all messy or trash. No, it just was like this cool single um, pad where these guys, their passion was music. They wanted to create music. And it wasn't something like they even wanted to be famous. Nobody really cared about being famous back in the grunge movement, I guess if you want to call it that. We don't like the word grunge, but it is what it is. We, I'm telling you, 
this was a season that we, it's like post Van Halen, um, post hair. Everyone was tired of glam rock, spandex pants. I mean, now if I had a pair, I'd probably wear them as pajamas. It'd feel kind of good. <laughs> Back then, it was like it really made us sick. We hated the idea of fame, the idea of, you know, like everybody wearing the same clothes on stage and it being really cool. No, ever we were sick and tired of it. And that's why some of us so gravitated to punk rock like Chris Cornell. Because it was so different. Just let me just ah, let me try to get back to the purity of what it is that makes life so interesting. And as we were beginning to you know, playing, starting to play guitar, and I mean Chris was still young at doing it too. It was like trying to discover yourself as a musician, as a creator. And that's where we saw just so many amazing things happen. But I remember even like glancing into his bedroom. I never went in anyone's room or his room. Again, apologies for the the airplane sounds and all that. You know, I'm we're in Hawaii. I'm on a on boat. I'm pulling no punches. Okay. But I do remember seeing lyrics taped up to his wall. I can even uh, still remember like uh, how he wrote it uh, in my mind. And I remember seeing even lyrics on the floor or going into the uh, to the washroom, right? And and there'd be like burnt candles and there'd be just uh, little lyrics written there and stuff like that. And it just, oh, man. And I just was so amazed. Now, here is the story, and I don't mean to go long. But this is the Chris Cornell, I Miss You So Much episode. And again, I apologize for not playing it better, but... But I remember being about maybe, because I met him when I was 14, but I remember when I was about 16 that Chris was starting to play shows and I so looked up to him. You know, I didn't idolize him because, I mean, we, we did. We went camping a lot. And, and, but just let me tell you this one experience before I mention camping. He looked over at me, and this is the jam room on, mm-hmm. in uh, the house, uh, West Seattle House 45, okay? 45th Avenue. I'm just right off of California Avenue, West Seattle. Um, I came in the jam room, okay, with their permission. Again, I, Robbie is a little bit younger, and I there there was people in there. Kim Thale was there. Uh, Hero wasn't there, but I remember that people were saying, "Oh yeah, there's some guys from Alice in Chains." I hadn't met Sean Kinney yet, and it was like, uh, how can I say this? Have you ever met people that? That are that are famous, and you can almost feel a presence in the in the room. Like you know, this is these aren't just you know your average people that whatever work at Safeway. No, because at the time, these guys, and I think I don't think Chris was on MTV yet, but it was like these guys were there, and so and I, and I remember just going to the band, uh, the jam room, which later on you know I rented uh, and I got to rent. Oh God, God is so good. <laughs> I'm sitting over in the corner, and they're just like. You know, or whatever they were doing, just jamming. And Chris was singing. He looks over at me. And when Chris looks at you, <laughs> like, you know, those eyes just pierce right through you. He just gave me, he motioned with his finger, like, to come over here. 
So I went over there, and um, I thought he was going to say, can you get me a beer or something? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, yes, sir. Because <laughs> even though we were very close and we went on camping trips and all this, I still respected Chris. I never was like, oh, yeah, whatever. No, I said, yeah. I, I probably didn't say yes, sir, but that's kind of the way I felt in my heart. Like, what is it that you need? If it's a beer, I'll go grab it for you. And the music was so loud. He just... He just grabbed, it was like a fifth of whiskey. He put it right in my hand, and he just nods his head like drink or took a swag. And I was like, like, if Chris gives you something. So I took a swag like that, and then he grabbed the microphone. It's like, a, I remember it had like a silver head on it. It wasn't like a nice SM58. It was it was something else, but it was just this old thing with, you know, with the cord. No wireless mics back there. Everything corded. <laughs> He puts it right in front of my face, and while the music is going so like, ah, I just hear him say, sing. That's all he said, sing. Now, when you're jamming with Chris Cornell, and you're also jamming with others that are already on MTV, and they're famous, there was this moment, okay, when he handed me that microphone, and he said, sing. His eyes. Chris was so beautiful. I don't care how you take it. You know? And it's not, I'm not talking about like a feminine thing at all. Just, he's this gorgeous, handsome, amazing creation of God <laughs> in every way. <laughs> Musically, uh, his, his, his features, just, he was uh, the epitome of a rock star. And just sweet as can be. When he handed the mic and goes, sing, and his eyes looked right at me. And then when I grabbed the mic, all of a sudden, I don't know if it, if, it, if the thing was grounded wrong. No, this is from my memory. <sighs> Try not to cry. He handed me that mic. And I felt like, the you know, the electric shock... <laughs> If you ever, if you've ever been in the old jam rooms, this is like in the early days. I don't, probably things are all grounded now, and you never get shocked. But if you're holding a guitar, guitar, and you put your lips on the microphone, you go. It's like shock. maybe I was standing in a puddle of beer or something, but it was almost like this divine moment, like a transference of power. You're not gonna believe me, huh? Because I'll tell you this, God, God honest truth. When he handed me that mic and those eyes pierced through me, I grabbed that microphone. And this is for my best memory. I felt electric shock. And when Chris Cornell hands you the microphone, you don't look around like, okay, does, does anyone have any lyrics? Like, it, you know, because I remember in the early days they would take like a box because you're in the basement, right? a box of Tide and you're... They would just start reading it, like singing it. They would just, no. Those eyes pierced through me. I grabbed that mic. I felt the shock. And all of a sudden, I was somebody different. I wasn't just little Robbie anymore. It was like I was one of them. And I sang. I didn't parade myself it was like, I felt comfortable. It was like, he gave me permission to jam. So I liked to remember taking the microphone and looking over at the guys and what they were doing. It was just whatever it was. You got home. Mm, yeah. So 
just begin singing on top of it like I never done before. Right? Normally you would think someone would be so shy and like, oh, I had so much courage on the inside of me. I just sang with all my might. Because when Chris looked at me and he said, sing. You know what he was also saying too? He's saying, don't embarrass me. Okay? <laughs> I'm sure that was in there somewhere. Because some of those guys had seen me before. I know Kim had seen me before. Kim, me and Kim, we'd already, he knew me from even, even a couple years before that. I'm telling you, you can ask him. <laughs> Chris, like, sing. And boy, did I sing. Boy, I sang with all my might. And if I can just even toot my, ho- my own horn, I think it, from my remembrance, it sounded, it sounded pretty good. And it was not a bad experience or some kind of like, oh my gosh, the time that I got so embarrassed. No, it was the exact opposite. The time that Chris waved me on over with his finger, come on over here, hand me the uh, bottle of uh, whatever it was, whiskey, took a swag, then he handed me the mic. He just said one word, sing. And that I did. It was amazing. I remember two times when he would be on tour and I'd ask Eric, hey, have you, have you talked to Chris lately? You know, and um, he's like, yeah, I talked to him a little bit. He's like, how's he doing? He's just, you know, he's on tour and all that. And, and uh, I remember just thinking, Chris, I miss you so much. Because it's like a brother, like my big brother. And believe this, because I lived in West Seattle, right above Alki. And we always hung out with Eric Garcia. Ask him, Eric, Eric Garcia and Michelle, they were like, not like mom and dads, because that would make him sound like they're too old. But he liked the older brother. Like you could go over to their house and kind of get away from mom and dad and go hang out and, you know, watch the Seahawks play and drink Rainier beer and like with light incense and all that kind of stuff. Cats are running around everywhere, you know, acoustic guitar in the corner. You pick it up. People are, you know, playing some songs while the game's on, whatever. It's just a creator environment. But when Chris, um, you know, when, 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 uh, when Chris was on tour, man, I missed him. And here's what I said. Believe me this. When Chris came back, the very first place he went, probably after kissing his mama, was the house on 45th. Bet your ass. I'm serious. Because when he came back, it was like, Chris is coming, you know. And um, there, it, there, would be a, there would be a whole bunch of people that would come. And it wasn't like it was um, like, oh, Chris is here. But it was like, we'd all smile inside. Because even when he became famous, he still remembered us. Yeah. I remember even jamming with Chris. It was like a winter uh, in, in, uh, in uh, December. There was snow on the ground. <laughs> it was scary to drive. Who was there? Chris Cornell. And me too. Yeah. I believe even that time, years and years later, it was even after I was a... Uh, you know, in the ministry in Tonga, and I came back, and it was like when when um, the album came out, where he's got like what's it called? Uh, you know, um, um, the the upside down album. You know, why can I? I should know this, but I just I'm kind of feeling emotional. You know, the album where it's like Ty Cobb is on it, and all that, which I love that. Blow up the outside world, and so we jammed even even back then. And he'd even say, man, how you doing, Robbie? You know? I think he just called me Rob back then. I go by Robbie now. And just was so awesome. We went on so many camping trips 
Chris Cornell liked to go to the Olympic Mountains. And here's where, where I want to encourage you as a creator, okay, and not just make this thing a whole like a testimonial of how I know Chris Cornell and look at me, yippee. Chris Cornell was so creative, and you know why? It wasn't just because of the talent that he had, but he knew how to live. You know that song when he was like, Show me how to live. I was like, man, Chris, you showed us all how to live too. Because we would go, this would be spontaneous camping trips. Because <laughs> he still worked at, at this time, this is early, early years. Still worked at, I think it was Ray's Fish House, where he was a sous chef. Yeah. And it would be like, um, this is before the internet, even. <laughs> before the internet. Wow, Robbie, you are old. My goodness. There was a time when there was an internet. It was called weekend camping. And it would be like a Friday afternoon or something. We'd get a call. I mean, I wouldn't get the call. Norman Scott would get the call like about 4.30. And like, it'd be, it'd be Chris on the phone. Hey, you want to go camping? He's like, yeah. And then, and then uh, Norman Scott would just be like, guess where we're going? <laughs> I'm like, where? We're going camping. He's like, go call, you know, go call your mom and dad. Get, get permission. And then we would, and then, you know, mom and dad said it was okay. And because um, we're young. <laughs> yeah, I was living with mom and dad. You do that when you're 16. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then we go to the Olympic mountains. He always loved the Olympics. And we hop on the ferry. We'd get in a van and it'd be full. I remember acoustic guitars being in there. I, um, kind of hippie. Uh, I don't even know whose van it was. Be, you know, tapestry. Um, everything was everything that Chris touched was cool. And I'll tell you this too, for the record, he never got pissed off. I never saw Chris Cornell uh, yell at somebody or get pissed off. I didn't. Maybe somebody else did. I never did. He was always the nicest person. And the reason why I love him so much, too, is like he always treated me with respect to who am I? I'm nobody. But he like he was nice to people. Do you know what I'm saying? Have you ever jammed with somebody that's absolutely famous? And they're nice and they treat you like one of them. Even I remember jamming and and um, um, oh, gosh, I, oh, gosh, what's his name? Oh gosh. Anyway, we'd be jamming. And then Chris would nod at me and just go, Would you just play something? What do you got? Okay, again, you don't go, Oh my gosh, what do I got? You just go from your heart. Boom. You start jamming on some. I saw you there, right on the beach. Legs are still under my feet. Whatever it was. And there was never a time where I ever saw Chris laugh at me or another musician or talk behind their back going, look at this guy, look what he thinks. No, no, never, never. Because as musicians, there needs to be a, a maturity in sharing, a maturity in and Jimmy, there was that respect with him. That was always so cool. Um, I remember, um, and I, I need to end this soon. I remember when one night with Bill the dog. <laughs> right, Kim? If Kim Thales listens, he knows Chris's dog was called Bill. <laughs> Big black dog. And we always sometimes go, like after a show, um, go to one of these parks. Because Chris was always so, this is what I was going to say as creators. 
One of Chris's secrets was getting out of the house. And he would get out in nature and he would go climbing. He was all, he loved to be outdoors. And I think that's where he got inspired. Just like, you know, like my other episode where I talk about Michael Jackson, where he would get inspired climbing a tree and write songs in a tree. (laughs) I'm sure Chris, there's lyrics going through his mind. um, Looking at the beautiful mountains and smelling the fresh air of the evergreen uh, trees there that were just uh, shooting up to the sky. Um, I'm sure he was so inspired by that. Um, And, um, you know, this one time we're at this park on Capitol Hill. I do remember there being a case or two of beer. Like We go to 7-Eleven, try to get there before 2 a.m. when it closed, when you weren't allowed to buy alcohol anymore. (laughs) We go to a park, and uh, it was like Bill the dog would come with us. And I remember this one time that we were playing football, and I don't remember the exact park, but it was where there was a reservoir of water, um, and you could go right up to the edge of it. And I remember this one time, Chris Cornell, he threw a football pass to me. Okay, we were playing football. We had a game going. It was really cool. He threw a football pass to me, and I'm running, running, running. Again, this is probably, you know, 2.30 in the morning, and all of us had quite a bit to drink. It was just a running. I look at that ball coming at me, and I just I caught that thing. Man, I couldn't believe I caught it. I was like, whoa. And then I just, because I came this close to falling right into that reservoir with water, and where I could have maybe even have drowned. On that night, I'm serious. He threw that pass to me, and by God's grace, I caught it. And by God's grace, I stopped, and I, you know, because I almost fell into that that thing. <laughs> That's why I put that in the song, you know. Um. You threw a football pass to me, and we ran in the dark. <laughs> and uh, I sure do miss him. And if I could say one thing to you as a creator, as a songwriter, um, and I'm sure you're inspired by hearing this story, I hope you are, and it's again, it's not meant to name drop or anything, is that you would be creative. And if you're feeling stuck, maybe you can do like what Chris did. Maybe you can't uh, afford right now to go camping or something, but you can get out of your element and get out of your chair and go go somewhere in a different environment and you can you know, begin to create because that's the thing that's going to give you um, so much excitement. That's the thing that's going to um, get the juices flowing and you're going to uh, find yourself more creative, writing songs, being passionate. All right. And so thank you for joining me. Um, uh, And also here, can I share this one last thing? While I was writing this song and all of these lyrics were just coming to me. This is build the song. This is what this podcast is about, songwriting and how a song is built and encouraging songwriters to be creative. I was I was just singing this song, right? And this these are the words that came. I'm building a school just for you and your names on top. gosh it just came out of me and because when i heard the news that chris had passed i was in thailand and i didn't even believe it i said no it's a lie 
<laughs> Don't tell me that. Don't say that. And it took, like all of us, you can't believe it. And I got so mad. I was like, if it's true, I'm so mad because I thought, Chris, you got everything at this point of your life. You could, you could even gone to New York City and started your own music institute. And if you were to ask me to come along with you, I would leave everything and drop it and fly to New York City to help you start it. You could, you could have all your friends come in and be guest speakers in the school. And then when this song, that was way back then when he passed, right? When I'm writing this song, that lyric just came to me. And maybe it's even a prophetic a prophetic moment because I just, well, when I started singing that, I saw myself st- having a school in a skyscraper in New York city. And for some reason it was New York city, not Seattle. Now, I, if it does come to pass, I think the Seattle one will be second, but and I saw this amazing uh, floor, you know, like a, like an office space, but all wide open and I just saw great big pillows on the floor and like a little a little podium there and a kind of a cool little stage. And I just saw just, uh, you know, about 75 to 100 young adults there and sitting on the floor. And there being guest speakers like Kim Thale, Sean Kinney, um, you know, this amazing school called Chris Cornell Music Institute of Rock. No, I'm not trying to, to do that, or I'm not trying to infringe on, on anything. And, I, and God bless Vicky. And, um, you know, um, and when you hear the song, um, the, the other Chris Cornell song that I have, you're going to love that. I'm not going to spoil it. But there was that vision. Maybe I will. And if I can start a school for Chris, uh, you know, with... Uh, you know, Kim's permission, uh, Vicky's permission, uh, or however it all works, and investors that want to do it, it's going to be awesome. And for all those that knew Chris Cornell and coming in, flying in, doing a um, doing a guest um, session and talking about how to write songs and how to be a creator, oh, it, I'm telling you, and there would be a cap on the students. You know, not too big. And so I even saw that some of the students are actually going to live in that skyscraper, that one floor would be for the school, maybe one floor would be for the housing, you know, and separated, you know, guys and girls and all that. It, is that an amazing vision? That's part of it that I wanted to include. And this is Build the Song with Robbie Silverarm. I want to thank you so much for joining me, for putting up with me, my wackiness, the noise of the jets, uh, the airplanes and everything here on this 1970 Hughes Star yacht. This is Robbie Silverarm. I'm not pulling any punches. I'm going on tour this year here in Oahu. It's called the Honolulu Dance Robot Yacht Rock Tour. Coming to a city near you. <laughs> Bringing sometimes some spam moose would be for you. So thanks for joining me. I better end now because all these jets are going. Build a song, build a song, Fly your jets all you want. I'm still going to build my song. Ain't going to nothing going to stop me. I remember Chris Cornell. The day that he looked in my eyes. Got shocked from the mic. <laughs> but it might have been a divine supercharge to little Robbie on the inside. Because I'm playing, I'm writing, and I'm rocking and rolling. Baby, darling. So glad you're here with me Build the song, be here that song Build that song, be here 
Bobby Silverarm, Honolulu. Don't wait for tomorrow. Create your best life today. Boy, those jets are loud today. <laughs>